Hey everyone, it's Ryan. I wanted to share my next podcast with you for the Pal Pod. It's with Eric Hassett from California. Uh, we actually recorded this uh, a few weeks ago, and I was going to release it before the show, but unfortunately, with the show being canceled, I held on to it a little bit longer than I probably should have. But enjoy Eric's conversation with me, and and if you're interested on in being on the the Pal Pod with me. Please reach out um, through the PAL Google group, and I'd be happy to have a chat with you. So enjoy. All right, I'm here with Eric Hassett today of Hassett Hardware out in sunny California. Eric, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Ryan. Uh, How many stores do you have? Uh, so Hassett Hardware is a five-store chain. Uh, we are located in uh, Northern California in the San Francisco Bay Area. So I am south of San Francisco, but uh, north of San Jose. We are in Facebook, Google. If you think Silicon Valley and technology, uh, we are in the midst of all of that, which creates quite a interesting um, dynamic of customers and, and labor challenges, et cetera. I, I can imagine what kind of labor force do you have? Uh, it's challenging. It's challenging. This is a very expensive neighborhood to live in. Um, and so we have to rely on a lot of people who have <clears throat> housing that, that can keep them in the area, whether that is a lot of um, people under 30 who still live with family or friends um, and can afford to live that, that way, or people who are uh, – over 50 um, and on their second secondary careers um, and a lot of people who've left the bigger bigger business and, and still want to stay engaged and, and working uh, but when you have fast food restaurants that are starting people at um, 19 20 dollars an hour um, it gets challenging to hire people and especially hire good people who uh, fit your culture so we are I think our minimum wage right now is Sixteen fifty an hour, um, and that is a dollar, a little bit more than a dollar than what we're required to do. But that's where we have to be to just get people in the door to start interviewing. Um, and then uh, we're actually planning on moving to a higher rate uh, this summer. So it is it is challenging when people can get um, fairly uh, basic jobs at seventeen, eighteen dollars an hour. That's crazy. How did you get into the business? Uh, so my brother and I are both uh, both third generation. Uh, my grandfather moved the family from Minnesota out to California um, in the in the late fifties, um, and they he started a, a hardware store that was focused primarily on servicing um, contractors and tradespeople. Uh, there was a lot of cabinet shops and. Um, upholstery shops. Um, and so that was a small store that, that was run for a long time. My dad took over um, in the early 80s. Um, and in the early 90s, he actually um, opened up our Palo Alto store, which is our most, it's our, it's our oldest current store. Um, we closed some of the previous ones. And that was right when I was going into high school. So typical you know, worked weekends and after school a lot. Um, went off and did my uh, four years at, at UC Davis. Um, and when I came back, um, uh, I, I used, uh, I was working in the stores. I was getting to do some leadership, um, but not a lot. Um, but every time I started looking at um, going and doing what, what I wanted to do, which was um, political consulting, um, something sucked me back in, primarily my dad saying, hey, um, here's more responsibility, here's more things for you to do. Um, and so he really had a, a gentle way of encouraging me to stay in the business. And then um, when we, when it was definitely looking like my brother was coming into the business um, after he graduated from UC Santa Barbara, um, we went uh, to multi-store um, and multi-store uh, presents lots of fun opportunities and challenges, but um, 
when we went to that second bigger store, uh, my dad uh, was really good about recognizing this wasn't his his gig. He likes working with customers. He likes doing merchandising, but overseeing you know more than a couple staff was was not his thing. Um, and that's where I felt uh, really comfortable. So um, I actually started running the business um, as a as the leader of the business. Uh, about 2001, I would have been about 23, 24. Um, and, you know, for most operational decisions, I still ran them past my dad, but for all intents and purposes, I was making uh, strategic decisions. I was making the hiring, firing decisions. Um, and uh, and dad was very gracious and good about backing out and letting um, my brother and I kind of start shaping this business in our, in our vision. So that's how I got into it. And how do you and Richard work work together? Is it a good relationship or you just kind of go off in your own separate directions? <laughs> um, you know, fa- family and business is always a challenge. Um, I think we're probably on revision uh, 500 of what are everybody's responsibilities and duties. Um, we've done a really good job, and I really credit my brother for um, – We've gone through several processes to identify our strengths and weaknesses and our communication styles. We really leverage DISC in our organization heavily to to better understand how to communicate with each other. Um, And so what we've landed on is, you know, we have Richard in a a position in the business, which is to his strong suit, which is primarily uh, projects. He does a lot of merchandising. He does a lot of... um, resets he works with the with the teams um, to kind of uh, he goes from the data side to making you know making sure all the inventory stuff is coming down properly um, things that you typically want to leave with an owner in terms of control but he'll help facilitate that clear through to the execution side so he's I know last week he did a long handle tool reset with the team and we really focus Overall, his biggest responsibility is our training, um, and we've landed on this. Um, I think it's a huge advantage and, and great opportunity for us to have an owner in a 160-person organization who can be there for all the orientation days, um, take the new hires to lunch on day one, um, and then you know when he's doing the long-handle tool reset, he's not just mechanically doing it, he's also culturally driving, you know, here he's getting the staff involved in um, how we want to do it, um, how we want to look, how we want to behave in the aisle uh, while we're executing uh, this transition because we don't like having big messes and we don't like ignoring customers. Um, But when an employee sees an owner putting that labor in and how to do it the right way, it's pretty awesome. Uh, So he's largely training in projects um, with a little bit of you know, flex uh, around that. Um, I am, I'm the president of the company, a much more traditional role. Um, I'm setting, you know, strategic um, uh, strategic vision and, and, and goals. I'm overseeing the uh, corporate support team um, and managers to make sure that the stores are going the way we want them to go. Um, so it, it was a, Richard really likes us say yes to everything and that is not a, a bad thing um, he's he's definitely a people person so his involvement in our culture is hugely important uh, but we wanted to do it in a way that also protected him from having to say no to people who um, he didn't, he didn't he, that's not his skill set so um, similar to making sure all of your associates are um, in a situation to succeed uh, that's kind of what we've landed on now and you know honestly is um, time goes on, we're both going to evolve, and this business uh, is going to continue to evolve. If there's one thing we're really strong at, it's change. So as Richard decides what he wants to develop next, and as I see where uh, paths I want to um, to try out, uh, we're going to continually to evolve that. Are you looking to expand from five stores to more? Yes, we are. Um, I think... Um, uh, two stores is really hard. Three stores is even harder. 
four stores, five stores beyond, you start getting some um, real benefits from from size. Um, you know, you have some people who can become specialists and become really good at their jobs, whether that's advertising or IT or inventory. Um, you don't. The bigger you get, kind of the more you can get specialized talent. Um, however, I'm going to say I'm a little bit wary about you know going much beyond 10 stores. Um, I don't want to, at this point in time, I don't want to lose the family feel. Um, I want to be able to get into the stores on a regular basis. Um, I want people to still you know know my name and recognize me when I when I'm walking through the store, um, and I. I see great examples of very successful retailers who um, get big, and I just don't know that I have that drive to go beyond 10 at this at this particular moment. Um, but as we continue to get uh, talented people on our team, um, really the talent on the team is going to drive the answer to that. Uh, right now, I think we're fortunate to have a very talented um, management team and support team, um, and so you know, conceivably we could support, uh, well, right now I feel like we could support 10 stores. Um, beyond that, I think we'd have to add additional talent and um, we'll see. Uh, California is not the easiest market to just go, hey, let's go add stores in. Um, our real estate is ridiculously expensive. Um, state of California has some interesting challenges. Um, so yeah, right now my, my target is to continue to grow and, and shoot for 10. Awesome. How often do you get into each of your stores? So I make a point of visiting uh, each store uh, every week. Um, so it may not be for hours. It may only be for, um, you know, uh, an hour to check in with the manager. But I really do feel like there's a huge value in face-to-face -face time with the managers, uh, with your uh, floor staff and associates. Um, and I feel like, you know, we go away to the convention, miss the stores for a week, come back, and that, that two, three, four weeks, you get to three or four weeks out of a store, things start to not feel um, quite the direction I want them to be. So uh, on, we have five stores right now. It makes it real easy for me. I try and visit each one uh, once a week. Um, my brother kind of goes where the fires or projects are. Um, and But that is something that I've – my whole corporate team, nobody has an office. Um, I don't have, my office is my backpack. So I make sure that I am mobile and not just seeing the same things uh, over and over again. You know, you get that stagnation in what you see uh, if you don't, if you don't, uh, if you go to the same place every day. So uh, I try and get all of my support team to go visit the stores on a very regular basis. Uh, so we don't lose touch with, ultimately the goal, which is satisfying the customers at the front end. What do you love about uh, owning your stores or working in your stores? Oh, man, there's so many things to love. Um, so number one, I think I've always enjoyed problem solving. And this is an industry which we are constantly doing in all aspects of our business. So whether it is, uh, you know, the Stanford engineer coming in trying to figure out how to build a nuclear uh, reactor model um, out of pieces from our store, um, whether it's, you know, uh, solving for how to train staff to uh, do things operationally, um, it's, you know, trying to figure out how we stay OSHA compliant. Like there's constantly problems coming and I really enjoy problem solving and working with that. So, um, it's one of those things where every day I go and I know that there's going to be a new and different challenge and I look forward to it. So um, I, I really love working with my staff. I really love engaging with the community. Um, we really work hard to focus on our community um, and be in, involved in every way we can. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I, I love seeing, I love seeing the opportunity we give to staff to grow. Uh, we take a lot of people in who are, I'm not, not going to call them lost souls, but um, they don't necessarily know what they want to do. 
um, you know, they don't have a college path plan and, and, and know exactly where they want to go, but we can give them an opportunity to teach them, train them. We help identify whether they've got strong leadership skills uh, or whether they'd be more suited for a tactical skill like accounting or HR. Um, so I really enjoy the people part of the business, I guess. And on the flip side, what do you hate about it? Um, what do I hate about it? Uh, that's a tougher question. Um, I think right now it is, um, there's not one thing that I hate. What I, what I think is frustrating on a, on a, um, on a regular basis is, um, when you are a ethical and, um, upright member of the community, when you're trying to do the right thing, you know, we, we really focus heavily on supporting our staff and doing all the right things. Our core values really speak to always doing the right thing, making it right for the customer, making it right for the employee. But I think when you're doing all the right things and then run into some of the regulations that are required to protect employees and customers from um, less scrupulous operators, um, you know, we get into some some challenges that are that are frustrating to the point of not liking it. Um, you know, simple example would be you have a small um, incident at, at a store, and now OSHA wants to come in and investigate. And next thing you know, um, instead of allowing your staff to to have some choice over uh, what pocket knife they're carrying, now we have to mandate <clears throat> and check and have a log to make sure that people are using a box cutter instead of, you know, what they, what they would prefer to wear, you know, it'd be like telling everybody uh, you have to wear this particular set of underwear uh, to work because it's the only safe pair when, you know, the reality is if you're doing things right, if you're following the directions, um, everything would be fine. So it's probably more the, the rules put forth that, that are more black and white and not gray area that allow, that really forces to do, Things which employees and as an operator we're not super excited about. I like the analogy about the underwear, that's awesome. Yeah. If you could uh, change unfortunately that's thing, a true story. <laughs> I, I can imagine. I I just figure California's, you know, crazy like that. Yeah. So if you could change one thing Ace does now to improve it, what would it be? That is a giant topic. Um, I think the, the simple answer, because it has to be really broad, is technology. Um, I think it touches so much of what we're doing today. And as much as it's easy to sit back and go like, you know what, we're a brick and mortar store. We sell hammers and nuts and bolts. Um, it's easy to kind of be complacent and say, we don't really need to have the latest, greatest technology. Um, the reality is it is the most important way we as operators um, engage with our co-op. Um, and so, you know, I don't feel like um, the technology to support that engagement is anywhere near where it needs to be. And whether that is, um, you know, AceNet and search on Ace, um, I think that those pieces should be world-class tools and not really difficult, frustrating tools. Um, but when you get into the weeds with, you know, how do we get misships from our warehouse? How do we get, um, you know, our bulletins to arrive on time? How do we get uh, level three resets done properly, right? They all come back to um, some really old and some really defunct technology um, that needs to be drastically, drastically improved. Um, and so it's, it's a little frustrating to me that, that we're willing to spend money on marketing to do services like barbecue delivery without putting the money on the front end to make sure that we can do it well as retailers, right? So we shouldn't be promoting free delivery and, by the way, not giving the stores any support in terms of, um, you know, an app that will help facilitate tracking the driver uh, getting a signature when you deliver it, like all those pieces. So I'd really like to, if I could change one thing, it would be 
take a year of advertising budget away, spend it all on getting our technology up to speed, and, and then go and try and do a lot of these great initiatives that we're trying to push with, um, with Pinnacle? That's an excellent answer. Um, to follow up something new, how do you feel about the uh, the rollout of the national accounts that ACE has, has just announced that they just signed one of the uh, a national account for the stores? Do you feel that that's going to benefit your business? <clears throat> I do. I do. I, I actually think that one of the um, one of the biggest challenges we see, and we push really hard on B two B. I think we're we're I'd give ourselves some some decent marks on on our uh, effectiveness with B2B, the most common thing we hear is, oh, I didn't know you guys could do that. Um, and it's ridiculous, right? Like we've been buying and selling stuff for a hundred years almost now. Um, we, of course we can do it, but I think it's really easy, especially for these bigger organizations to have no clue. Um, we've had to, we have a Ritz Carlton in our, in our backyard in Half Moon Bay and we've had to like literally fight and drag people to lunch and find out whose cousin knows who to get in with um, the the team there that that ends up you know fixing all the light fixtures et cetera. And so over the course of the last two years, um, we've gotten around that challenge of they would rather use a national vendor to to do their purchases, and it's super simple the way they've got it set up and. That's how they operate on most everything. Uh, we had to do an end around, and now they've got, you know, we actually put a 16-foot Hillman set in their um, in their back room so that their guys can just be more effective. Uh, we've, I think, got a 12-foot plumbing set back there, so they've got all their regular items they can just go grab. Um, but that was a really hard account to get to, and this does give us the ability uh, to attract that. Um, and one thing I find out with those bigger accounts is it's really not so much about price. Um, it's more about the service. And if we're going to really stay relevant for the next 10, 15 years in retail, we need to, we need to take back the definition of service. Um, Amazon scores really well in service right now. And what service? They don't provide any, right? Other than getting object A from point A to point B, they don't do anything. Um, but if we can get back in into defining like, hey, you're not just ordering online, we're like going to come and help you with this and, and take care of your project needs, et cetera. I think we do have a huge opportunity for growth in that segment. And what I see this do is allow us to speak to more customers who would normally say like, oh, you're not a big enough player to have us even give you any attention, even though you might be right around the corner. Um, that's especially true of um, the hotels that are around us. We've got so many hotels and so little penetration into them. Um, this finally does give us an opportunity to, to work on those. Awesome. Um, what's your idea for ACE's future? Um, I, I think um, as I look at retail right now, um, it's really hard for me to, to envision what beyond 10 years looks like. Uh, but for the next five, I'm very, I'm very optimistic. Um, and within the 10, I'm, I'm even fairly optimistic. Um, I think that what ACE really needs to, to leverage is uh, the logistics and, and um, sorry, logistical excellence, local and convenient service. Um, I really think Amazon is going to have a very hard time breaking through the, that two-day barrier. And I know they've got two-hour delivery in, in certain markets, um, but it's really limited markets and it's really limited items. Um, and unfortunately, some of those items are some of our best sellers, right? You can, you can get Kleenex delivered in under two hours in San Francisco. Um, so I think it's incumbent on... ACE, all ACE dealers and ACE corporate to really focus on, okay, what, what are those niches and markets which aren't going to be popular enough um, for Amazon to store, you know, in, in two-hour delivery zones um, and that are difficult to search, um, difficult to maybe articulate what they are, um, 
maybe needs help doing. And so um, example would be, um, it is really easy to order a, a battery for your, your car fob uh, online. Sure, shows up. But some of these car fobs are incredibly difficult to get open. Um, and so wouldn't it be nicer if you can just order it online, come in the store, and we'll replace it for you, right? We're actually now charging for that service, uh, key fob replacement, battery replacement. Um, but we're seeing consumers, uh, even though it's as simple as going on YouTube, looking up how to do it and, and doing it, there is a declining amount of uh, capability um, from our general populace that I think we can we can capitalize on if we're remain service oriented, remain convenient uh, and easy, and 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 also are realistic about um, our margins. Um, I, I think that the price transparency has made margins easier in a lot of ways. Uh, unfortunately, they continue to to slide. But if we focus on that service and the the knowledge to do things, um, I just see you walk around any house or commercial property, you can see endless amounts of opportunity for us to provide service. What are some of the new and outstanding products that you stock in your stores? Um, let's see here. Uh, so key things that we really focus on, um, and some of these are going to be niches which have already come and gone, um, and some of them are ones that are, we've just put in and have not take it off yet, but um, Amazon does not want to ship anything under 15 bucks or anything really heavy. They just can't make money doing it. And so we're, we're shifting more and more products, right? How much more impulse can we find? How many more uh, of the, you know, four to $10 items can we put in that are going to be a little bit isolated from, from online search? Um, so, We've been going through and, and having a very rational approach to bringing in those impulse, knowing that they need to, to switch out. So, uh, you know, the Tide Beanie Babies have been big for us. Um, uh, last year, we added Lego. Um, and, and while Lego, unfortunately, has a lower margin than I would like, to, like them to have, um, our strategy has basically been uh, from... January until September, we're going to stay under $20 retail. Um, that keeps it in the, the quick impulse gift. It keeps it really, really impulse. Uh, the parents who want to, who have a kid who wants something but don't want to give them a candy bar, well, now we've got a $3.99, $4.99 minifig. Um, and the margins on those under 20 items are in the 40s. They're, they're decent. Um, and then we ramp up for, for Christmas, We you know November, December, we get some of the bigger kits, some of the bigger giftables. Um, so that one's been good. Um, we've done a fair amount with Gromit and bringing product in and out from there. Um, our live goods have really been a focus. So um, particularly smaller live goods, uh, we have a, we're seeing a huge amount of millennial, younger, newer homeowners uh, or apartment dwellers who want that living breathing thing in the in the room but but don't have the space or the time to necessarily take care of a full garden so uh, small pots have been huge for us uh, succulents has been a growing um, category for us air plants um, you know just um, looking around at uh, there's a lot of people who are very interested in, in what i would call small diy slash project they love that satisfaction of of putting stuff together and having a, a tinker crate, so to speak, for adults, uh, but they don't want a full-day uh, Pinterest project necessarily. So uh, we've been trying to find a lot of those. Um, I know we just had a class last weekend or two weekends ago where we sold them a small wooden heart uh, for $9.99, and then there was a class that they were able to participate in, and I believe we charge for the class. And in the class, they basically planted little mini succulents to make their own cute heart succulent. So um, it's kind of staying on trend, trying to figure out what's coming up next. Um, and then the last one is we've been, um, I'm going to say opportunistic. Um, one of the niches around me that has 
basically evaporated in the last two years is is toy and hobby. Um, Toys R Us is gone. All of our small local toy stores are, are closed or closing. So we've been bringing in um, puzzles have been wildly successful. Uh, board games have been more and more popular, card games. Um, and again, we're finding things that are $15 or less, um, things you're not going to see. You're, you're Anywhere you're losing the ability to go buy in a brick-and-mortar store, we're trying to find, okay, what was the best thing they did and, and how can we put that into our stores? So I'm very much looking forward to um, at the show. I know there's a hobby paint set from Rust-Oleum that, that – will be a, a new option that we're very excited to see and to bring in uh, because we're seeing that and, and there's less places to get that kind of model stuff for from. You mentioned grommet. How often do you refresh your grommet uh, section? Not often enough. Um, you know, back to that technology piece. Um, especially, so technology, multi-store, um, Closeout management, getting really trading out items is more cumbersome for multi-store and the technology to do it, um, it is challenging. Um, so we struggle to do it as effectively as I think we would if we were just a single store and, and Richard Knight can walk on the floor and just go, you out, you in. Um, it, it gets more complicated because it seems like every product category we've brought in from Gromit one or two of the stores have sold really well. One or two of the stores has never sold a single one. And when you're talking hundreds or thousands of SKUs, and then justifying the labor to go and move a $3 widget from point A to point B, it just gets to be a challenge. So we try and refresh them every three months. Um, the success rate on that, I, I would tell you, is is probably 50 60%. I mean, I know, I know I'm still seeing some stuff that was – probably at nine to 12 months now that I wish was gone and, and we haven't effectively clearanced. What do you do to keep making yourself better? You know, um, I, 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 I was thinking about that um, last week. Uh, and it's interesting because I think if we had my brother on the, on the call right now, there'd be two totally different answers. Um, it is uh, a known in my organization that, uh, and it's I, I would almost call it a flaw for me, in my organization, I'm constantly looking for improvement. Um, and so I oftentimes don't give my teams enough praise for when they've done something really well because I'm already looking at, okay, how could we have done that better? Um, how, you know, what's the next step? Um, internally, um, I'm very much a... I like to set a big goal and a small goal um, and constantly revise them um, and and build routine around them, right? So um, whether it's my physical fitness uh, or my uh, what we're doing culturally in the business, what we're doing sales and, um, and growth-wise in the business, I like to sit down, uh, write out the, the bigger idea, um, write out I try and keep it to three or less steps or mini goals um, to accomplish those things uh, with with deadlines. Um, so, you know, for um, you know, I've got mountain bike season coming up right now. Um, something I like to do to to get my out of the store and uh, onto the trail and clear my head. Um, and so, right now. I have a set of mini mini goals I'm going to work on at the gym to get my legs in better shape and get my cardio endurance better so that not that the weather's bad right now, but um, when it is truly riding season, I can go do some bigger rides, have um, fully enjoy those things. Um, in the business, that looks a lot like um, I was just at, in fact, the last two weeks I've been at conferences with other dealers. Um, I think making sure you walk in thinking that uh, you have a lot more to learn than you have to share is, is a really good starting point. Um, taking a lot of notes and then editing those notes. Um, I think I have about 50 action item ideas from my last um, conference and my process today is going to be to whittle those down 
um, to what do I think we should focus on this year, try and get it under five, um, and then put the steps of, okay, how are we going to do this as an organization um, so that there's not too much change. I have, it's, it's having my brother in the business is a really nice balance. I'm a constant change agent. He likes uh, less change. Um, and so we have a good balance of, he'll challenge me on, is that a really good investment of our time and energy to push for that change, especially on things which um, may not be ready yet? Um, a great example, uh, I, the tool level tool res, level three tool reset last year, um, I really wanted to get that done before we got into our busy selling season. Um, and so I pushed our team really hard and ace to, to, to do that. Um, and we failed uh, because we moved too fast. Uh, ace wasn't ready to, to supply it. We didn't have the key pieces in place that could do it. Um, and so we're, we spent more time on it than we should have. Um, uh, and, and we actually have to go back and, and revisit it this, this spring as well. Um, so it, it's, it's having that goal in mind, but also checking in on a regular basis. Do you find going to the resets, do you find that ACE pushes those out too quickly with, with product not being there and things like that? I, I think, um, I think with the amount of change that's happening constantly, it's, there's so many ways to look at that. Um, I would argue that many of our sets are not getting updated fast enough. Um, and at the same time, uh, the sets that are rolled out are oftentimes not complete. We had that challenge with the tool reset uh, last year is just, you know, we set 10% empty pegs um, and had to wait for inventory to flow in later. Um, but you also, I think, have to have a little bit of um, understanding because of the, the moving pieces and how many vendors shipping out of how many factories. Um, you know, right now the coronavirus has me really concerned. I know it has Ace Corporate really concerned um, we're not seeing it right now, but you know, give it three, four months. Um, some of those products that we rely on on a daily basis are going to become really scarce. Um, and so you have, you have to take in all those moving pieces. Um, I definitely feel like the process could be done better. Um, I think that ACE needs to probably have better internal, um, practices in place to, to do those rollouts. Um, right now, I know that there, you know, how many hundreds or thousands of stores have we added to the Benjamin Moore program uh, in a very short amount of time, which from an overall retail perspective, I think you have to applaud, like getting the right vendor into more stores is in how quickly they are able to do it. It's hugely awesome. But at the same time, man, somebody dropped the ball when it came to filling up the warehouse with inventory because we keep running out of product because they keep shipping out of the warehouse for new stores and not keeping enough in for the stores that, that are trying to rely on that inventory for daily sales. So there's so many moving pieces in it um, that I wish uh, we need, we just need to continue to improve and get better and, and not make mistakes. What uh, what's one key piece that you see Ace as doing excellent in your mind about anything over Ace Land? So uh, you, you you have to give Ace credit for a lot of things. Um, I think that they've done a really good job, um, and honestly, I don't know whether this is skill or luck or a mix. I think it's probably a heavy mix of both they've really done a good job of keeping our brand um, strong uh, and recognizable. Um, and I think that that's pretty good marketing. I think that's good, you know, good initiatives to keep our stores, you know, for a co-op model to have so many stores at least trying to go the right direction, that, that's pretty impressive. 
Um, I know, I mean, just within my five stores, I have people trying to paddle in slightly different directions and, and trying to get 5,000 stores to have a similar brand feel. That's pretty good. Um, I think time and time again on our regular everyday items, I think they do a really good job on pricing. And I know a lot of people are going to give me uh, grief about that because it is very easy to find SKU specific errors um, or price opportunities. But um, I think they've done a really good job with with overall pricing um, and realistically logistics. Um, I have Ace is still one of my better servicing dealers or uh, vendors. Ace is still one of my most reliable vendors. They're it's really hard for us as an organization to look elsewhere uh, because they are ultimately pretty darn good at what they do. What technology do you use in the store that maybe we should be aware of or something you promote heavily? Um, man, what technology am I not using? We're, we're in the, uh, being in the Silicon Valley, I'm in the test bed or thought thought inspiration for a lot of people. So um, there's some stuff um, that we're, we're testing and I have no idea whether or not it's going to pan out or not, um, especially around um, marketing and, and in-store uh, uh, merchandising. Um, so let me kind of roll through it real quick. So one, um, I, I hate paper. I, I hate people losing paper. I hate notes being taken on paper. Uh, so over the last two years, we've moved effectively about 99% of our our documentation is electronic now. So uh, when an employee is going to go out and do a vehicle checklist to make sure that the tires are healthy and there's oil and all that stuff, that's now a Google form that we can keep track of everything forever. Cashier observations, sales observations, to-do lists, um, those are all electronic so that everybody can access them and go back and see the records. I can see how many times Billy at the register has forgotten to ask for the ACE rewards card and have those conversations. Um, so that one's, that one's almost uh, just normal for us now. There's very little we have left to, to digitize. Uh, and in fact, it's great. My team now whenever we need a new procedure or checklist or whatever we need, it re-automatically goes to, okay, we need to build the, the Google form for that. Um, we use ShopperTrack. Um, I'm a huge proponent of ShopperTrack because um, if you just look at your transactions by hour um, and then start making scheduling decisions based on that, um, the math actually shows you can literally schedule yourself out of business um, if you're not aware of how well or poorly a staff member or set of staff members are doing, um, because your conversion rate is hugely important. Um, so you might see an hour, two hours in the morning where you're, you're not selling anything. So the, the data would say, you know, have fewer employees or don't even open. Um, but if you look at the shopper track data, which is tracking how many people come in and go out, and then matching that up with your point of sale data. Uh, if you know that normally 70% of your customers buy something, but those two hours, only 10% are buying something, um, you've got a problem. You've got staff that are hiding in the back room or task oriented and ignoring customers. You might actually need more staff, not less staff. So we, we rely on ShopperTrack heavily for all of our scheduling, time off requests, planning for promotions, you can use it to see um, when a promotion is run. Did it have any effect? Did you actually see more footsteps or not? Uh, so I, I really like ShopperTrack. Um, right now, kind of my 2020 goal, uh, or one of my 2020 goals, is to have a mobilized digital associate in the store, meaning I want my associates to carry their cell phones with them on the floor. Um, I want them to be able to engage with customers. Um, and so we are, um, we've, we've purchased a bunch of the Zebra devices that were at the last couple of A shows. 
and on those devices and to make sure that they're helping our associates be more efficient. Um, so we've got, you know, the ACE app, which um, as it improves, as, as it adds things like special orders and deliveries, um, I want them to use, rather than all the footsteps back to a terminal to special order for something for a customer, take the order right there on the aisle. Uh, we're also using a, um, our Vonage as our uh, voice over IP phone solution. They have an app that goes on that phone, which allows every single one of them to act as a handset. Um, so we can ditch the expensive desktop phones um, and have customer, or sorry, employees actually answering phone calls in aisle, walking over, being able to verify price and quantities and all those things where before we'd be running back and forth. Um, tied with Vonage, we're, we just started using a company called Instaply. Um, they have a, a little pop-up that shows up on your website or on your Facebook page um, that basically says, have a question, you know, we can text us and we can solve it for you. We've also got it now so that when you call into the store, there's a prompt saying if you'd like to continue via text message, um, you can go, you can use that. And what Instaply, on the consumer side, the, they have no idea. They're just texting a hardware store. Um, on the on our side, though, we have a platform where we can have multiple people be able to see the question, respond quickly with full, rich MMS. Um, so, you know, somebody texts in um, and asks, hey, do you have a, do you have any thermostats? Um, rather than a back and forth, we can say, absolutely, we do. And we can snap a photo of all five options we have. The customer with the picture was able to see how many we have, what the price is, um, and, and we can engage in that conversation um, directly there. And it, and it can be handed off, right? I can be talking, and then the store associate uh, can also be texting back with them, and we see that transparently so that nobody's we're not double talking. Um, so we've been really excited about that. Um, uh, we're, we're testing out a new program, which is in stealth still called um, Dexter, but it is a task management tool um, similar to Trello. I know a lot of people use Trello, but um, more this is more designed and, and focused on um, retail hardware, uh, retail in general. Um, so really quick and easy task uh, delegation, tracking, et cetera. Um, let me see, what else? Uh, in the stores, uh, we've got a couple different tests going on, on um, digital displays um, and digital selling tools. So we have a table, um, imagine a four foot by six foot table that has all of our smart home products um, displayed on it. Um, it's, it looks like something you'd see in an Apple store almost where they're all on stands and really pretty. Um, but there's a tablet that slides in front of them, and when that tablet stops in front of the Nest camera, all the product information is right there. They can see test videos, all, anything that would be promotional for that item. Um, and then they can also put it in directly into uh, acehardware.com cart, or they can text themselves the information about it so they can make the purchase later. Um, but just trying to find ways for, especially on technical questions for consumers to get more access to information. Uh, there's another company that is using a Bluetooth tag um, and we're putting it in our barbecue lids and accessories. And so when a customer opens a lid or picks up an accessory, there's one screen and it will display the video about that item, right? So if they lift, open the lid on a big green egg, there's big green eggs promo thing. If they pick up the conveyor box, um, it'll show them the benefits of that, that box. Uh, and we're testing that in stores to see if there's any lift to those product sales, uh, if that's going to help sell more of them. Those are all awesome. I wrote down a couple of notes for me to, to check out. Oh, one more, one more that is very new to us. Um, and we're still sushing out the, um, how we can better use it, but the, the, Three-week results are tremendous. We're using a, a program called Kahoot, 
which is a gamified basically my teams are using it in some of their huddles and what they'll do is they'll create a series of questions um, and it might be a, uh, a picture of my me and my brother and saying which one is older and all the associates have their phones and they all have to text in their response and based on how long it takes them to respond and if they get the answer right or not they get points um, and different points and so there's this kind of a game show effect where everybody's trying to guess and, and guess quick, quickly um, but what we're doing is making it fun to share information but also embedding key things right so if we need um, to talk about safety we can embed a safety question and, and have them um, understand the right and the wrong uh, if we need to talk about the bag sale or how to execute a promotion whatever it is we're building those in um, and the employee response has been hugely positive and they like seeing their scores and they like the idea of, you know, person at the end of the month with the most points is going to get a free lunch or whatever it is. Um, but that one has come back to me as, and that one came from um, some of the managers. Um, that one's come back to me as being wildly impactful on getting people engaged in topics which otherwise Right. Everybody stood at a, at a, a store five-minute huddle where you're talking about the bag sale and uh, who, how many people are actually hearing it. Kahoot seems to be a good delivery method for some of the things we want to make sure that they actually understand um, in our operation. Awesome. Um, what kind of podcast do you listen to? Do you listen to any other podcasts? <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do. Um uh, and, and I and I have um, two different. I, I was a history and poli sci major in college, so I have some other passions. Uh, so I won't bore you with some some of them. But um, uh, I think pertinent to being better at my job as a retailer, um, I listen to the to the John Maxwell Leadership podcast. Um, I think that one's that one's very tactical and like specific things you should be working on, thinking about on a daily basis. Um, uh, Craig Groeschel, um, has, uh, another one that's a global leadership, um, that one's got some really interesting guests, um, uh, you know, there's just a little bit more, that one feels a little bit more salesy than I like, but, um, I do, it, some of the experts there, um, uh, really help. Um, and then honestly, I listen to a lot of TED Talks. I listen to, um, I really am trying to forecast what the what what is our populace going to look like, act like, feel like in the next ten years, and so I listen to a lot of podcasts from uh, a lot of TED talks and a lot of podcasts which are kind of culturally based um, to see where where we're going. Right, where is this trend with millennials and the love of experiences over things going? Um, uh, and then just fun ones, stuff you should know. Uh, I think that's a great one for understanding where where some of the the more um, benign things in our our world come from. Um, uh, trying to think what else. Smithsonian has some good history ones. Um, yeah, but that is right now. That is it. I think I'm, I'm right now. I'm about halfway through all the Craig Grouchel, um podcasts. Have you listened to the Pal Pod before? I have. I have. I, I, I have to admit, I was a little distracted. I was on a, I was on a bike ride, and uh, riding in California can be either smooth sailing or um, dodging in traffic uh, for your life. So, uh, but yeah. Uh, uh, books. Do you read books, or all the are the e-books? Um, do you have any books you recommend? So I'm. Uh, I'm very. Uh, I have a routine. I try and read one book for pleasure and then one book, business book. Um, and so, especially when uh, I was trying to burn through the Game of Thrones series, man, I was reading a lot of, um, <laughs> reading a lot of business books. I, I like the blend. Um, I like listening to audio books, um, particularly on longer drives, um, but I do really enjoy the feel and smell of a, of a good book. Um, I think uh, I, I actually pulled up my list of kind of my, my favorite um, 
book. So I think Dream Manager uh, by Matthew Kelly is a is a really good book, especially if you're want to help grow your team and, and build a long-term team. Um, it's Your Ship by Captain uh, Michael Ab- uh, what was his name? Abrahoff. Um, that was a really good one. Um, no Complaining Rule is really good. Tribal Leadership, I think, uh, is really good for multi-store. If, you, if you're going to have a lot of a lot of associates, I think tribal leadership um, is really good. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, good to great. Um, it's a really good one. And then Updates on that is is really important because I do see him as really understanding um, some of the fundamental changes we need to be open for as we go forward. Simon Sinek as well. Simon's got a lot of great articles and and, and books. What are your passions outside of these? Uh, so number one is family. Um, I've got kids who are in the 10 to 12 range and, and it's such a magical experience to see them grow and, and help them develop into the, the people we hope they are. So right now, um, family is probably number one, um, and doing those, you know, right now we're trying to figure out a family two week trip to Alaska to just go do national parks and see amazing things. Um, Number two and three are are, um, are tied effectively. I love to mountain bike and I love to, to ski, um, and I love to find the adventure that those create. Um, so uh, my, my fiance would like to have me say that uh, my, my number two passion is uh, is uh, adventure um, because I do tend to use both of those avenues not just for having fun, but also for going and exploring new places. And, you know, skiing has taken me to Japan and Chile and most of the states in the country with snow, um, mountain biking. I'm going to be going to Arizona to do some mountain biking and, and check out some hardware stores and some good bookstores. Um, so th- those are, those are my real passions. Um, what are some of the favorite stores you've visited? There are a lot of good stores out there. Let me tell you. Um, I think probably my favorite store right now um, is the uh, uh, Eric Bowman store in, in Bozeman, uh, Montana. Um, he's got, I think, a really great um, store. Like you walk in and it has a great vibe. It's in a. He has two stores, but the downtown one has this just really cool vibe. Like you're in a very old building, and they've still managed to keep. Um, the core department's really nice, um, and they do a fantastic, one of the best jobs I've seen with um, housewares and, and giftables. Um, and then as you meander through, you realize in the back they've got this, they have probably the best bike shop um, that I've ever been in. Um, and you don't feel like it's um, too dissimilar, but you definitely feel like you're in a, you're in a different business. Um, I think they have a fantastic eye for merchandising. I think they have a really good idea of what they're doing with the merchandise mix. Um, so that that would be up there. Um, the miners down in um, San Luis Obispo area, um, their San Luis Obispo store is one of the most intriguing and inviting and interesting stores on the planet. Um, it, it's really a magical. You walk into their garden center and it's magical. Um, they have the good fortune of being in uh, Central Coast, so. I don't, I don't think they get much below 50, and I don't think they ever see temperatures over about 90 um, year-round, uh, so they can have this beautiful garden center. But I think they're really savvy operators who who do a nice job with core department and with the general merchandise mix. Um, God, there's a lot of – Brett Stevenson in Colorado has some really beautiful stores. Um, 
I don't have time to name all my friends and all their great stores. I was just at last week. I was in uh, Florida visiting the Sunshine A stores, and um, they they also do. They have a really interesting niche of um, their fishing stuff is is massive, and they do a really nice job of blending it into um, the store. I think most of the stores I find really compelling are the ones who not only find niches, but really embrace them and, and take ownership of them. Um, so Michael's done, and Michael's team have done an amazing job down in, in Naples, Florida. Um, yeah, I could go on, but uh, there are so many good ones. Now you are on the steering committee for PAL, correct? Yes. How has PAL shaped the way you um, look at your business? Um, so I, I was, uh, I missed the first PAL summit. Um, I, I went on the second through the, I don't even remember when I got too old to, <laughs> to go. Actually, that was a conscious decision. I wanted to not shadow uh, or place a shadow over my brother. I wanted him to have the same opportunities I did. Um, my most important and impactful relationship at ACE uh, all started um, because of the PAL meetings, PAL summits, PAL meetings at, at conventions. Um, the people who I hold closest and most dear um, are still those those people I met uh, when I first started attending um, PAL events. Um, and I think you you end up with this really wonderful network of people who share your experience, share your challenges, um, have similar stories. Um, and, uh, you know, for me, uh, I probably have a dozen or more people who at any point I would have complete comfort in calling and saying, I cannot solve this problem or what would you do here? Um, you know, there's no, there's no walls up with, uh, this group of people, it's, uh, they're, they're really friendships and business mentorships. Um, when I have had challenges or struggles in the past, you know, many of them have reached out to me and, and just said, hey, what, what can I do? How can I help? How can we solve this? So I think the most important part of that is, is the relationships, um, realizing that you're not alone in, in this path, which is uh, – uh, for many people taking over for um, for a, a generation that um, grew up with a, a different mindset about retirement and about how they want to run their business. And, um, and that can be challenging. I mean, family business and transition is challenging. And I lucked out that my dad was so good about handing it over. Many of my friends um, went through really tough experiences to get, you know, to, to transition from, mom and dad to, to them running the business. So um, I think it's a great place to learn operations and tactics, um, goal setting, uh, but that networking, uh, I can't, uh, if I were to, to go back uh, or, or if I were to have a 20 something come to me and say like, what should I do with pal? I just, just be at everything, just be there and talk. Um, Cause you'll find a lot of great similarities with people um, and then you'll have that that list of people who you can call and say, like, I need this. What what do you got? And there's no hesitation in sharing. So who should we talk to next? And my homework was to go through and make sure that I had a smart answer. Um, I think Eric Bowman uh, up in Montana is a really sharp operator, and I really like his perspective about diversification in um, the, the focus of the businesses. Um, I think uh, if you haven't already talked to um, to Paul Felice down at Miners, um, really bright mind, um, really knows what he's what he's talking about. Um, but I could I can fill you in with about uh, 30 people who I'd love to have a hour long conversation like this with. Um, but yeah, I, my number one recommendation would be Eric. I think he'd be really good on this. As uh, I'm running out of questions, Eric, do you have anything else you want to add to the podcast? Um, no, not really. I just wish my uh, my brother had been here to to share his insights. It would have been good to 
to do that, but we weren't able, unfortunately, to, to pull that off. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, uh, one thing we didn't spend any time on that we that I, I think we should probably talk about is what is the um, Epicor slash what does the future of retail technology look like to us? We, you know, we talked about ACE technology. Um, ACE isn't the one necessarily holding us back the most, though. Uh, the Eagle product is, has run its course. Uh, we need a modern point-of-sale system, and whether that's from uh, Epicor or whether we go out and find another vendor, but I think that there are way too many dealers doing way too many workarounds uh, to keep a, a 1980 system working in the in the 2020s, um, so I, I'm hoping that uh, people are talking to their Epicor reps and, and really pushing for um, a newer product, which will, you know, do things like help us make our labor more efficient by allowing us to order in our defined multiples, and um, you know, it's not a it's not a major overnight deal to upgrade and, and get a, a patch that will make our bag sale work better. So I I agree with that. It, you know, Epicor is a, a pain point for a lot of people. I hear that a lot on the podcast. Um, are you traveling to Chicago in a few weeks? I will be in Chicago. Are you coming I've to even, the Palavin? I've event? even got, I've got the Palavin on my schedule. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to try and come. Good, you can buy me a beer there. I will. I'll be happy to. <laughs> Coming through uh, the years of of, uh, of meetings there, yeah, I, I would love to uh, buy you a beer or sit down and chat with anybody who who wants that um, wants to chat more. Uh, there, there was a lovely lady at the um, conference I went to last week who kind of was asking me very similar questions. Like she she'd gone to a pal summit. She really liked it, uh, but she had other questions about how could she better leverage it and, and what she should be trying to do with it. And we had a lovely conversation. So I know there's a lot of it's a lot of what that group is good for is you don't know what you don't know, and until you get in that group and can say it and aren't worried about parents looking over and making you feel dumb because you don't know what an acronym or what a what a procedure is. It's a great group. It's a really great group. It is. I want to thank you for taking the time today. I, I know we went a little bit over our hour, but uh, it was good information. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. No problem, Ryan. Thank you so much. We'll see you in a few weeks. Sounds good. Looking forward to it.